The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition, coming up today. Dortmund's Werder Bremen Werder Points Go Disappearing Act. Serie A, Cavara Donna and the new Napoli. Ligue 1, PSG with M&M's new record. And La Liga, Fatty's still a good fit, a belt-tightening Barcelona. And how much will Real Madrid miss Casemiro? All that and more continental content in this Totally Football Show. Hello, listener. What do we got here? Oh, Tuesday, the 23rd of August. It's the Euro edition of the Tony Football Show. And yes, that means Julian Laurent, James Horncastle, Alvaro Romeo, and very shortly, a bit of Raphael Honigstein. Hi, everyone. Bonjour. Hello, James. Wow. What a pan-continental salute that was. Jules, you're in France, aren't you? I am indeed. Bonjour depuis la France. Oui. Okay. <laughs> Hey, who saw the game last night at Old Trafford? I imagine all of Europe was watching, no? What about in France, Jules? Yeah, of course, it was uh, live on Canal Plus and a lot of people were watching, including me and the, and the family, because we thought uh, United had so rubbish and Liverpool finally will kickstart the season. Old Trafford is, is, is written. This is the way it's going to go and it went completely other way. It certainly did. Hey, Alvaro, were you tuned in? Yes, of course. And I would like to say that uh, if you went at that time, at 8 p.m. UK time, to the Marca and AS Digital website, uh, that game was uh, top of the news. Uh, ahead of uh, the game that was played in La Liga at that time, which was Girona-Getafe. So there, are, there was plenty of interest for the game in Spain, too. Mm. What was the verdict over there? Well, the verdict in Spain is that uh, it was a very good uh, Premier League game. Uh, again, like uh, it was probably a good display window for the, the product. And uh, also, most of the focus was at the beginning on Maguire and especially Cristiano Ronaldo being benched. What was your take in France, Jules? Yeah, I thought it was, it was interesting to see the, um, the decisions made by Ten Hag before the game. Alvaro mentioned Cristiano and... And Maguire, of course, for us, that meant Rafael Varane was starting. So we had a, a close eye on, on how him and Lissandro Martinez did or, or were about to do in the game. Uh, because I think that going forward now, I cannot see why after the game that we saw last night. And even if Liverpool were disappointing, which is true, I think there's there's something to work on for, for Varane and, and Martinez together. I think they complement each other quite well. It was interesting to see Tarel Malasia left back too. And he was obviously very involved in the first goal. But yeah, there was a lot of focus on, in France on, on the French players, of course, and Anthony Martial coming on. There's a few people who said to me that had Martial not been injured just before the start of the season, maybe things would have been a little bit different against Brighton and against Brentford because he was such a key part of what Ten Hag wanted to do. And he was so good in pre-season that him missing out on those two games sort of messed up a little bit what Ten Hag had organised already and had worked on because it was obviously very different. Once it was Christian Eriksen as the first nine, and the other time it was Cristiano as an anonymous nine instead of a first nine, if you want. So it was it was it was different to if Marcel had started those two first games, and now him coming on and and having an impact on the game, I think was quite promising too. So yeah, we 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 obviously watched it with a bit of a French focus, mm. but we were also very disappointed by Liverpool's performance again. We. Oui. Uh, Gazetta this morning says uh, United Renaissance 
Sancho and Rashford close the crisis. Liverpool on the floor. They don't win anymore. They salute Ten Hag's courage. He's got the right ideas. James, was it that simple? You just had to drop Ronaldo, Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire and bingo, there's your team again. And are United really about to blow £100 on Anthony? What do your sources in Holland say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gazetta also, James, saying that... uh, Per la prima volta nell'ultimo mese, la squadra l'ha seguito. For the first wow. time in the last month, United's players actually did what Ten Hag wanted. And I think, you know, Ronaldo, James, set the tone, didn't he? Right from the, from the beginning. He didn't play, but by uh, refusing to shake the hand of Jamie Carragher, um, <laughs> that was the kind of attitude that Ten Hag wanted his players to show uh, on the pitch. Um, he may not have shown that he can play football, as Ten Hag uh, also said afterwards, but the rest of the team did. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with the sentiment in the pink um, uh, this morning about uh, the courageous decisions he made. Jules will be happy to know that Varane uh, was, was man of the match in Gazette. Of course he was. Uh, um, uh, this morning. In terms, of, in terms of Anthony James, feels like United just keep bidding. Uh, keep bidding and keep bidding. So uh, I imagine by uh, August uh, 31st, um, the bid will be up to um, around 700 million. Um, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what uh, IX do. Not the only option, I suppose, available to, to United. You know, United seem to be able to get players uh, now, uh, Casemiro being uh, in the stands. And again, you know, just, just his presence, his aura, mm having an effect on on these players um so you know let's let's see what else they can do in the next uh, in the next fortnight um but you know one swallow doesn't make a summer james so well indeed so. not alvaro briefly before we move on to the euro stuff yeah absolutely uh, i think manchester united show a new energy uh, they didn't look worse than liverpool in any aspect i think alessandro martinez had set his eyes in this game and he was up uh, for the challenge uh, because uh, this week he got many critics about his height, about him uh, making it in the Premier League uh, because he was too short, as if, uh, you know, everyone in the Netherlands were uh, relatives with Tyrion Lannister, you know. I mean, I think that there are many high and tall players in the Netherlands and uh, Lisandro, Lisandro was certainly uh, one of the players of the game and uh, you know I would like to single out two more players very quickly Marcus Rashford I mean not only he scored the goal but also he did a, an excellent run uh, leaving behind Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, Harvey Elliott Joe Gomez in the second half he hadn't scored a goal since January and uh, you know it's normally not natural to come back uh, to your best form in a game of this caliber, that's number one. And number two, James Milner. He was hysterical the whole game. He was everywhere, but not doing the right thing anywhere on the pitch. And uh, I think that this uh, game uh, is going to cost probably James Milner in the future and will remember his performance. Uh, I was thinking yesterday that uh, since the Premier League implemented the five substitutions and all the leagues, basically, uh, I thought that uh, the taboo of uh, replacing someone in the first half was going to be broken finally, but it hasn't because, uh, you know, now, um, Jurgen Klopp, if he had removed James Milner for Fabinho in the first half, Liverpool would have improved enormously already in the first half. But he doesn't do it yet. And I think that there is a taboo that has to be broken here. Uh, if you have five substitutions, start doing the substitutions earlier in the game if you really have to. There you go, Jürgen. Well, we'll have a little bit more on the uh, clash at Old Trafford very shortly with Raphael Honigstein, who was there 
speaking to us from the press room straight after the final whistle. But right now, fellas, let's get your moments of the weekend. Alvaro, why don't you kick it off? Well, I will start with Ansu Fati uh, because he did change the game against the Real Sociedad on Sunday. Barcelona won 4-1 and uh, it looked difficult for Barcelona in the second half. But Ansu Fati came onto the pitch and he made the difference, not only giving two assists. Well, one of them probably he didn't want to anyway, but the first assist to Ousmane Dembélé was class with the back heel pass and also scoring one goal. So, you know. Barcelona is still taking precautions with Ansu Fati. He hasn't played the full 90 minutes for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, he makes the difference and he still has this scoring ability that uh, makes him one of the most exciting footballers in the world right now, uh, or at least exciting young footballers. So Ansu Fati, for sure, uh, he deserves to be the one that protagonizes the moment of the week. Nice, Fati, boom, boom. James Horncastle. A lot to choose from. I'm going to yeah. go with uh, Domenico Berardi's uh, yes. Zidane-esque goal uh, for mm. Sassuolo against Lecce. Il sinistro nel cuore dell'area, Paschi rotto di testa e poi Berardi! Domenico Berardi! That's what uh, some of the pundits on Italian TV were drawing comparisons with. Uh, Berardi kind of knocked them down, saying Zidane's goal against Leverkusen in that Champions League final was better. Uh, and it was, but uh, the skill and technique to, to pull off this goal, it's, the ball seems to be in the air for hours. Uh, it then comes down and he hits it with exquisite technique and it just flies uh, into the bottom corner. Berardi, who has been at Sassuolo his entire career, uh, just signed a new deal. So in the same window that they've sold Scamacca to West Ham, uh, Raspadori and other of their stars to uh, to Napoli, Berardi is staying. Although in his post-match interview, he made it clear that that wasn't his first wish. Oh. He had wanted to leave. <laughs> they just uh, they just couldn't find the right kind of offer or the right club for him. So it was it was quite funny that he'd signed this five-year deal and was like, "Yeah, we'll see what happens next summer." But uh, wonderful goal uh, mm. from Berardi. As you say, so many moments to choose from in a Serie A weekend that saw a grand total of checks notes twelve goals. Yikes! All right, uh, Jules. Has to be Kylian Mbappé scoring after nine seconds in the game against Lille. The combination worked on training, copied on on Bournemouth uh, and on a few other few of the, of the teams, but just wonderful stuff straight from kickoff, incredible and, and setting the team up for another amazing performance, to be honest, and an amazing win. Excellent. All right. Very good. Let's start our roundup then. First up, live from Old Trafford, it's Raphael Honigstein. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. All right. Monday night, Raphael Honigstein was at Old Trafford straight after the match. We caught up with him for his thoughts on the Bundesliga and first a quick line on what he'd seen on the pitch at the Theatre of Dreams. I think that Liverpool played into United's hands a little bit by starting slowly, by losing the 50-50s, by having a little bit of uh, tired legs, it seemed, in midfield. But I think United had had a very good game plan and it worked out beautifully for them. Mm. Hear me out here, Raf, but watching the, the game, I was just... Remember, this is what, Klopp's seventh season at, at Anfield. It's their worst ever start 
to a season under him. And I was just thinking back to the seventh season he had at Borussia Dortmund and how that, that played out. Too early, yeah? Too early? Or are there any hints that maybe... I think you've gone too early, James. But yes, um, it is unusual for managers to keep a certain level over a number of years. I think the problem at Dortmund was that it was a constant rebuilding process. Every year they lost one or two players. And also what was a revolutionary system had become quite commonplace by the time he left in 2015. So I'd be a little bit hesitant to say this is sort of this one song or the dawn of the Klopp era. Uh, but injuries certainly a factor. I think Liverpool looked, looked a little bit light in the field. They didn't really have that many options to change the game. They had, in his own words, um, centre-backs and young kids on the bench, mostly. Neither of whom were really much use in this game. And I think that is the concern, that with the World Cup coming up, with games every three days, from now until May, the squad in midfield look a little bit light. Mm-hmm. I think that is the biggest issue because Liverpool, as we know, and as Klopp has mentioned a million times, are a team that live off their own energy. And I think if that energy drops just a little bit, then they're not quite the same team. We saw that in that COVID season when injuries meant that they had to rotate a lot in midfield and they never really had their, their proper midfield starting because... Henderson had to play centre-back. Fabinho had to play centre-back. And you see it again now. Uh, Harvey Elliott, James Milner, Jordan Henderson. It's not really the sort of three players that you really want in a big, massive game. Not that combination anyway. I think individually, all great players. The three of them together, I think you're a little bit short. OK. Rafa, let's talk about the Bundesliga. Because... Uh... Well, wow, one or two remarkable results there this weekend. First of all, Klopp's old side, Dortmund. So they were 2-0 up in the 89th minute. And I see that Lee Buchanan got a consolation goal for Werder Bremen. That's nice. He did. He did. And then? <laughs> and then in the 93rd minute, unbelievably, Werder Bremen managed to snatch a point against Borussia Dortmund. Boy, I bet Dortmund were unhappy about that. No, they were very, very unhappy. They should have never thrown away two points. But then... But then it got even worse. I, why am I laughing? Extraordinary. Oliver Berg. Oliver Berg, come. Berg, alleine vom Tor. Berg, Tor, 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 Tor für Werder. Es ist unglaublich. Es ist nicht zu fassen. Oliver Berg. Coming up, and for the second week in a row with a late, late goal... To cap what was the first time ever that a team had thrown away a game they were leading 2-0 in the 89th minute. Extraordinary. Dortmund going to Dortmund, Rafa. Yes, but they find new ways of, of Dortmunding because against Freiburg they were super efficient. Against Bremen they looked super efficient. I think they had three or four shots on target. Scored with two of them. Didn't play well at all, but you're thinking, OK. Bezic has worked out a way of playing pretty badly about winning, which is not the worst thing in the world. Bremen were better throughout. They just left it very, very late to score the goals, but it was thoroughly deserved. And I think what's worse than the collapse and worse than throwing points away, of course, it does hurt. But what is worse, in my view, is that the performance was so bad um, and the midfield looked so short on quality. You literally have 
Jude Bellingham carrying this whole midfield, which I don't think is fair on him and is not sustainable, that you think, where where's this Dortmund team going to go? They have a lot of firepower up front. They have Adeyemi to come back. Reiner came back and looked pretty good. Uh, there is real quality. But as a functioning unit defensively, and I mean that sort of from midfield onwards, it just doesn't look like a team that you have any confidence in in winning most of the games. So it's it was very disheartening, I think, for Dortmund fans and for for neutrals who want Dortmund to push by and, and to do well in the Champions League. Mm. Better Bremen must have enjoyed it. Though. Interesting collection of players they've got there. Yeah, they've got um, they've got really good players. I mean, they're newly promoted side, of course, big tradition and big success in the past in the Bundesliga. So it doesn't really feel as if they're newly promoted team. Uh, they have also this great support. They have a really good coach in Oliverna, who took them up. Uh, quiet guy, but very highly rated in German football. And they played with a kind of fearlessness and organisation that not many teams just show up at the Signale Duna Park and just play as if they're the home side. So, hugely impressive. Uh, really good start to the season and thoroughly deserved. Excellent. All right. Dortmund, uh, with their issues continuing, could be worse, they could be Bayer Leverkusen, who are currently pointless and goalless down at the bottom of the, the Bundesliga. RB Leipzig also with a bad weekend, losing to Union Berlin, while Bayern Munich, Rafa, Bayern Munich r- roll on. Quite extraordinary. They sell Lewandowski, and the, the following season they're averaging five goals a game. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what, what Julian Nagelsmann kind of predicted or at least hoped for, that Bayern, without Lewandowski, are even more difficult to contain. Lewandowski scores the goals, but sometimes doesn't or didn't perhaps provide the kind of movement and interchange play that Nagelsmann wanted. Now you have this very flexible 4-2-2-2 formation with two slightly more advanced forwards and two forwards behind them. Uh, this week it wasn't Muziali who was injured, but then Leroy Sané comes in and plays absolutely brilliantly uh, with a bit of fire in his belly and throwing a great goal and looking busy throughout. Mane keeps on you know, being very, very difficult to handle. And then you have the likes of Müller scoring sometimes, and then you have Serge Gnabry scoring sometimes, and then King Zuckerman comes with a goal. I mean, there's just so much going on. The only problem is that it almost feels a little bit cruel. It almost feels like shooting fish in a barrel um, or a cat toying with a half-dead mouse. This fine team are on a different level to Borkum. They managed to lose 4-2 uh, in February, but that was when it felt as if the title was already won and they slowed down. And their big lesson from what happened last season, second half of the season, was... We basically have to be our own opponents. We have to be so good when it comes to the squad, the competition, the depth, that no one can slow down because otherwise somebody else will take their place. Unfortunately for everyone else, Bayern seemed to have learned that lesson and got a lot of things right in the transfer market after having two or three years when they made mistakes and could have perhaps been punished but weren't because those below them had even bigger problems. But the way they're playing at the moment, the way the squad is constructed, the way Nagelsmann is, is gelling with the players, it's going to be very, very hard to see them drop too many points. 
Mm. But I have to say, I think I said exactly the same at the beginning of last season because they also started incredibly well, playing some beautiful football, and then they really lost their way after the winter break. So not all is not all is lost for the rest of the week. Mm. You're off to Germany, Rafa, Tuesday morning. And uh, hopefully we'll be catching up with you there to maybe give us your view on the Champions League draw Thursday night featuring the likes of Dortmund and Bayern and Bayer Leverkusen. I'd love to, James. Raphael Honigstein, everybody. Looking forward to that hot take live stream of the Euro draws. Crikey. Not sure how that's going to work or if it'll work. But you can see it live on Twitter and YouTube. I'm told. That's quite exciting. Which YouTube producer, Charlie? The Athletics YouTube channel and the Athletics Twitter account. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Good. Let's hear about Ligue 1. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Julian Laurence. James. Yes. So last week we were talking about all the unhappiness at Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, any hopes from their rivals that uh, the Parisians were going to implode were dashed very quickly this Sunday, though. Yeah, it took nine seconds, uh, as we mentioned in our moment of the week, for Kylian Mbappé of the weekend, for Kylian Mbappé to score that first goal. And the second quickest goal in French football history, by one second, uh, Kylian took nine seconds. Michel Rio took eight, eight seconds 30 years ago to score. Or, to be fair, watching the game, we thought it was eight seconds, and, and, but he was given at nine seconds. Uh, literally, Neymar with the kickoff uh, passed the ball. Uh, backwards towards um, Verratti and then Neymar sort of pretends to, to go forward then stops his run comes back towards Verratti Verratti passes the ball back to him then he lays the ball off for Messi who then find the, the the through ball above in behind the, the lead defence for Mbappe who'd, who'd run from the kind of left hand side who then loves the keeper it's amazing they worked on it at training Galtier said it and Marquinhos said it after the game but they obviously copied it. Remember Bournemouth against Fulham last season scored exactly the same goal. Vinicius tried it for Real Madrid against against um, Manchester City. And we have Cliftonville for the fans of uh, Irish football who scored exactly the same goal. We had it in, in, in the Eredivisie as well. So this is not their idea. They just saw other teams doing it and they, they, they noticed that the Lille backline was was usually very high on kickoff when they didn't have kickoff. So they said, hey, why not we try it? And it was to perfection. And if you see the, the camera angle from behind Messi, you see his, his ball is incredible for, for Mbappe. And then you, see, you saw the reaction of all of them because clearly having worked a lot about it on training, for, for it to, to pull it off like this in that game uh, made them clearly all very happy. And Kylian was not grumpy anymore. And Neymar was happy. There was no penalties. Everybody passed the ball to each other. Um, Neymar scored two goals and three assists. Messi had one goal and two assists. Mbappe had his, his hat-trick too. It was pretty pretty special night to, to, to finish on it. Uh, Thierry Henry on French television after the game said that cohesion for him was the, the, the word to sum up the PSG performance. And he said he'd never see them play as a team like that, mm. which I agree. And L'Equipe in their ratings and Le Parisien were similar gave them all three nine. So nine for Neymar, nine for Mbappé and nine for Messi. 
I mean, you have to. You? you can imagine if you give one of them nine and a half. Spark carnage again in the dressing room. So l'équipe, yeah. l'équipe don't give 0.5. Le Parisien okay. do, and I think Mbappé had nine and a half and the other two nine, but just because it's le Parisien and it's Mbappé. Mm-hmm. But yeah, l'équipe not having halves, you know, it was fair to give everybody nine. Is it an emergency for, for Europe and ah. you know, Champions League contenders, this 9-9-9? It's a warning. Jules, quite, quite something when the winners of the past two Ligue 1 title races meet and it is as one-sided as this. The final score, 7-1. Yeah, it's true. I mean, when you concede after nine seconds against PSG, even when you're at home like Lille, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. Paulo Fonseca got quite heavily in France for his tactics and just be, being so open the way they wanted to play against PSG where you kind of you knew that this was very dangerous and they they tried to play Lille and that's what Fonseca does and he said after the game like why would I change because we play against PSG this is not how it works but the lack of, of pressure on whoever was on the ball for PSG was shocking the defending was, was horrible from the keeper to pretty much the whole sort of back six, if you want. So there were issues. But to be fair, when PSG play like that, when Vitinha is in that kind of form, even Verratti was a bit more quiet than the others. But it's, I mean, it, it would be very hard, even for a Lille team at its best, with a very defensive mindset to be able to cope. But yeah, they played into PSG's hands for sure. Also this weekend, another defeat for Monaco, defeat for Nice as well, but wins for Lyon and Marseille. Who impressed you? I mean, just to start on five, because it reminded me of the uh, the live show that we had in Manchester, where I, I said uh, our friend Lucien Favre, who is getting older and older now, uh, and Nice was so bad on Sunday that I felt a little bit vindicated that I said how, how it was uh, so far for Nice uh, on the show. Marseille were interesting because it was Alexis Sanchez's start, home debut as well and clearly the 63,000 people who were at the Velodrome were there just for him and they were not disappointed because even if he can't last the whole 90 minutes, he was very good in his you know, in his, in his usual style and I think he would be very good for Marseille who by the way are about to sign here in Bailly uh, from Manchester United so they, they're trying with no, not much money to pull a really competitive side now to be able to, to do well in the Champions League and kind of compete in the league as well and even if this two-door side is still very, the way they play, it's, it's all a bit messy at times. But that was a really good win for them. And the Velodrome loved it. They love Alexis, who's their new hero. And rightly so. So that, that was promising. Monaco were shocking. The loss was so good against them. And Lyon, it's always the same feeling that, it's mixed feeling. They have some really good, the second half was, was pretty good. And the first half was terrible, where I think Trois were the better side. Mm. Jules, also, I saw this weekend no less than 11 red cards across uh, Liga 1's matches. 18 in Spain, James. 18 in Spain. 18 in Spain? No, 8 in Spain. Oh, right. I thought you said 18. That, that would be a lot. So, 11 in Ligue 1. That's the most in any match day, Jules, in the last 30 years. Yeah, crazy. Really crazy. Um, we had two in the games, three in the game. We had three as well in the Saint-Étienne 6-0 defeats. Uh, in, in the second division on, on Friday night. Yeah, people are angry in France, you know, with all the inflation, all the problems and everything. I think the referees <laughs> are as bad as ever. Uh, some of those red cards were, were really, really um, severe, or like, you know, strict from the referee's point of view. 
but yeah, we we we're waiting to see if it continues or not. We had a few the weekend before, not as mm. high as the eleven, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Oh, but often in August, to be honest, when the season starts, I guess some players maybe are like quite high on trying to do well and everything, but. There were, yeah, there were some really bad tackles. There was a few bad referee decisions, to be fair, as well. All right, then, Jules. Uh, you're in France at the moment. What are you doing there when you're back? Uh, I'm back tomorrow. Uh, still the last few days of holidays to see my uh, newborn uh, baby niece. So, oh. yeah, that's why we came over. So, I'll be with you on Thursday. Uh, mm. now I thought you were saying niece are rubbish. That's one niece you do oh, enjoy seeing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you're insulting my family now. I see. Oui. I see you when I come back. Wait. All right. Thanks, Jules. <laughs> Au revoir. Next up, what do you fancy? Spain or Italy? Uh, Italy, please. Oh, that nice. There you go. Yeah, so many goals. That's why. So so many. I mean, the most attacking <laughs> league in Europe. Who said they were not defensive anymore? Not me. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Ukrainian Premier League uh, kicks off today, actually, this uh, this Tuesday, with Shakhtar Donetsk hosting Metalist. That'll be at the Olympic Stadium in Kiev. Uh, no fans there. Uh, that's part of the uh, protocols that are going to be followed at each game. They've got evacuation plans, fixed shelters no more than 500 metres from each stadium. A script for stadium announces in the event that air raid sirens sound. Obviously a very serious business, this, but it's felt that uh, they need to get the season underway, A, because the clubs will go out of business otherwise. And secondly, just as a, a message about the fact that the, the spirit of Ukraine continues in the face of the, the Russian invasion. Uh, Shakhtar also going to be involved in Thursday's Champions League group stage draw. Their European home games, though, are going to be played in Warsaw. Best of luck to everybody uh, with that, Italy then. All right, James. Uh, not many goals this weekend. Not many at all. Yeah, but I think uh, if you watched the Roma Cremonese game, Roma could have scored uh, three or four. Um, you had uh, Stephen El Shawari hitting the bar. Uh, a little bit similar to their last performance against Salernitana, where Dybala hit the post. So 
created a lot of chances, didn't take them. And yeah, that's also been, I would say, the story of interseason as well. Certainly at the weekend before last against Lecce, when they only uh, were able to uh, to win 2-1 uh, with their stoppage time goal, but uh, again, created loads of chances, which they didn't take. So um, it's one of those statistics that I don't think tells the, the whole story. Mm. Almost as many, well, actually only slightly more goals in Serie A than there were red cards in in France, extraordinary. Uh, Inter with a 3-0 win over Spezia. That's uh, two wins out of two. Uh, for the Nerazzurri, further evidence of uh, Romelu Lukaku's, the wisdom of his decision to return to San Siro. Lovely little bit of interplay between him and Lautaro Martinez. I think that was Inter's first goal, wasn't it, against Spezia? Yeah, that uh, kind of long ball from Barella. Lukaku running on, onto it and nods it down behind him. For Lautaro to just hit first time from outside the box into the boy, does he hit it exactly into the goal? Uh, Lula, uh, as that partnership was known when it uh, was first uh, put together by Antonio Conte, um, delivering. It's very interesting actually watching Lukaku uh, playing for this inter team um, because I would say that um, you know most of the personnel is the same apart from. Uh, the wide players, because Perisic is gone. Hakimi was obviously sold when he was sold. Um, but it's an inter side that plays a lot higher up the pitch, um, plays more possession. Certainly in Conte's last Scudetto winning season, um, he felt the best way to, to get uh, the most out of uh, Lukaku was to play deeper and hit teams on the transition with him facing goal and using his pace. And in this, you're seeing quite a lot of long balls going up to him um, for him to either hold up and lay off or for him to, to knock down. So it shows that he can play different styles within a 3-5-2. Uh, obviously, it is a, still different from Chelsea where you know he was kind of the lone front man up there. Um, certainly helps him having Lautaro playing close to him. Um, but, um, but yeah, sort of uh, encouraging signs for into the big story around them was that Skriniar is is not going anywhere. Uh, mm. Their their centre back, who's uh, they've been talks pretty much all summer between Inter and PSG about uh, about him, um, and uh, the club have basically said, okay, no, we've sold this teenager to Chelsea, uh, Cesare Casade who's part of Italy's Euro under-19 side, um, part of Inter's Scudetto-winning under-19 team under Christian Kivu um, this summer. And uh, they're just going to go for a low-cost centre-back um, who's probably going to be Francesco Acerbi. Um, so, um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's see what the, the last week of the window has in store for Inter, but I don't think there'll be any fireworks. Well, this weekend with Milan... Drawing 1-1 Atalanta, not a disastrous result. They also drew their last season and went on to win the title. But Juve only managing a 0-0 with Sampdoria. The only other team that's had a perfect start to the season are Napoli, who beat Monza, Berlusconi's Monza, 4-0. James, this is kind of remarkable what's going on uh, down in Naples. Obviously, it's very early on in the season, but given the number of players that have left and given the man who's been the star so far, a lot of surprises. Yeah, there was a lot of negativity around Napoli uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, Luciano Spalletti got heckled on stage um, at their pre-season event uh, in the Dolomites. Um, uh, he was told to wake up by fans um, who were kind of upset with Aurelio De Laurentiis, the owner, for uh, letting Koulibaly, Insigne and Mertens go. Three uh, of the 
icons, I suppose, of, uh, of that Napoli team that had come very close to winning the league under Maritz Vasari, but had also won things under, uh, under Gattuso and, uh, and Rafa Benitez. Um, but the signings uh, look very good um, at the moment. Um, there's the, the centre-back, uh, Kim, who did uh, Gangnam Style as his uh, initiation song. Um, and uh, the one who's getting a, a lot of the plaudits is uh, Kivisha Kavratskelia, um, the Georgian AKA. winner they signed for. A.K.A. Cavadadonna or um, Caravaggio as well. I like that one. <laughs> um, and he's just been electric. Um, you know, he's been signed to replace Insigne, who's obviously gone off to play for Toronto FC with Federico Benedeschi. Um, and whereas Insigne, you always knew what he was going to do a little bit like Aaron Robin, uh, in that he would cut inside from the left and then he would either try and hit the far corner with a right foot shot, the, the famous Tira Giro, um, or just play one of those passes for, for the other winger. You know, it was Callejon for many years um, to, to get in behind. With Cavatazzi, you have no idea what he's going to do. You know, he's he's two-footed. Um, he loves to take on his man. Uh, gets to the byline. He comes inside. I mean, he scored three goals. Um, no one in in Napoli's history has scored three goals in their first two appearances uh, for the club. And his three goals are a header, left foot shot, and a right footed shot. Mm. Um, so, which was a classic uh, yeah. Insigne style Tidigiro itself, no? Yes, that the the, the first goal uh, against Monza was uh, was kind of classic. Uh, it didn't have as much curl as some mm. uh, some of Insigne's goals, but yes, yeah, certainly cut inside, find the, the far right corner. Cielinski, prolunga di tacco, Faraschelia, a spazio destro, giro. But Napoli looks very good. I mean, I love Spalletti. Um, and uh, his football is just so... It can be so pleasing to watch. You know, just one touch. Um, you know, moves from his, their own penalty area right to the end. And he's just such a great character. Um, he gave an interview this week um, in his house where he's got that... Um, incredible kind of wall of football shirts that he's just collected over the years um and and then he he pulled on this kind of uh, chechen um shepherd's outfit um as well because he'd been given it as a gift when he was playing when he was coaching zenit st petersburg he's just a lot of fun so yeah napoli have won back-to-back games okay games you'd expect them to win verona uh, Monza will be a bigger test this weekend when they play Fiorentina mm. uh, I think in Florence uh, and obviously a lot of people remember that they won the first eight games of last season as well uh, and were kind of early front runners uh, for, for the league so yeah we'll have to see this Napoli team get a bit stress tested but certainly for, for now they're, they're really exciting to watch yeah Okay, so that's Sunday night when they take on uh, Fiorentina. Fiorentina who only managed a nil-nil draw this weekend in the uh, Tuscan derby with local rivals Empoli at Empoli. The other huge game coming up next weekend is actually on Saturday and that will see Roma up against Juventus. Juve with the nil-nil draw against Sampdoria. Roma, a narrow victory over Cremonese uh, with uh, Smaldini getting the goal but the injuries <laughs> mounting up already for Jose Mourinho's side yeah Mourinho was talking about this this after the game um, yeah because 
Roma did create a lot of chances. I, I said they hit the woodwork, um, but you could see they were getting unsettled. They, 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 they looked frustrated, looked like they might lose their heads at one stage. And Mourinho said that the mood in the camp had been quite low going into the game because uh, Ginny Wijnaldum, one of their, their big signings, um, albeit on loan from PSG, so no money spent apart from on his wages, he'd broken his leg um, in, in training. Um, and the players warmed up with uh, Forza Ginny t-shirts and Mourinho posted on the Instagram uh, a pic of him holding up uh, a Roma shirt with the same message and then he composed his own underneath this Instagram post calling the reporters who'd, uh, who'd suggested that the young player uh, Felix Afenya Jan had injured uh, Wijnaldum and Mourinho called them real scum um, so uh, yeah not, not uh, mincing his words there uh, and then Zaniolo looked like, the, like, like he's back to his best um, we already saw that against Salernitana last weekend, uh, but these you know, storming runs from inside his own half, he, he falls over, he's brought down uh, during one of them, and uh, it looked initially like he dislocated his shoulder. Um, so after tearing the cruciate ligaments in both his knees, um, he's, he's seemed determined to do all the joints uh, in, his, in his body. But uh, afterwards, Zaniolo again took to Instagram and said, um, you know, to, to those who were hoping I would uh, be injured and out for a long time again, don't worry, I'll see you again in three weeks. So, um, yeah, it'll be a big miss for Zaniolo and Wijnaldum um, to be out for the game against Juventus in, in Turin. Dybala obviously going back um, to play against his, his former club. Um, Dybala's still yet to score, but has been playing some silky, silky stuff uh, very much in his in his style. And I suppose they'll go to Juventus and not be particularly afraid of what they're playing because Juventus themselves have big injuries. Uh, Di Maria, who was the star of their first win of the season last week against Sassuolo, he's out. Pogba obviously is still injured too. Uh, and Allegri, after a very disappointing nil-nil on Monday night against Sampdoria, was saying, uh, we hope to see Pogba and Chiesa before the World Cup. Uh, but failing that, uh, we'd like to see them in January. So uh, really kind of giving the idea that we, we might not see two of Juventus' best players um, for four months. So yeah, I think in, in some respects, this is a good time for Roma to, to play against uh, Juventus. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, by the way, Galazzo Live will be returning uh, the weekend after on the Saturday with a double header. It'll be Fiorentina against Juventus, another of the uh, bitter rivalries traditionally in Serie A. That's at two o'clock UK time, followed by ooh, Milan Inter. Crikey. All right. Uh, keep an eye out for that one then on BT Sport, of course. Uh, very good. And let's conclude today's Totally Football Show Euro edition with the latest from España. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Alvaro Romeo. Hola. Hola. Thank you for your patience, Alvaro. We're ready for your close-up. La Liga. And who's top of the table? Villarreal. Woof. Yep. 2-0 winners this weekend against Atletico Madrid at Atletico Madrid. 
which is Unai Emery's first victory over Diego Simeone after 16 attempts. Wow. I guess it was worth the wait uh, for Villarreal because they won at Civitas Metropolitano, the new name of the ground, by the way, mm. uh, with a, with an impressive display, I would say. I think at Atletico had their chances too, especially Mateus Cunha had a couple of uh, good chances denied, both by the crossbar and uh, Jerónimo Rulli as well, a goalkeeper that uh, we know that he tends to be a little bit sloppy sometimes, but he was very good uh, at Atletico de Madrid ground. And Villarreal got one of those victories that uh, should somehow set the foundations for the belief that they can finish in the fourth spot this season. They are not playing in the Champions League. They are playing in the Conference League. Therefore, they'll be able to rotate a little bit more in Europe, I'm guessing. Uh, Gerard Moreno, last season, he barely featured. He was barely took his best because he sustained plenty of muscle injuries. Uh, he scored this time at Wanda Metropoli at Civitas Metropolitano and it looks like uh, his old injury is gone. And Villarreal has signed a good amount of players. Uh, Morales, for example, former Levante footballer, he's there and he's on the bench right now for Villarreal, but he can be a great addition for Villarreal in the second halves. Uh, I think that they've got uh, many elements to believe that uh, they can do very well this season. And um, there is another thing by Villarreal that I would like to say, which is very important in my opinion, because as a supporter of a club that normally has their second team in the third division or the second division, I know how important it is for Villarreal to have their second team in the second division of Spanish football, because those youngsters, they are competing with professionals and uh, they are close to being very ready to play in the top flight. So Villarreal having their second team there in the second division is a great asset for Villarreal for the future. Uh, so I think that this is going to be very important for them. Unai Emery, we know that he hasn't qualified any club for the Champions League apart from PSG uh, for a long time, probably a decade. He didn't do it with Arsenal. He didn't qualify Sevilla ever for the Champions League, but he was playing the Champions League, I believe, because he was winning the Europa League. So this is a challenge for him as well, the day-to-day, -day, how weekly he can make sure that his players are giving their best. But it looks very promising for Villarreal. And when it comes to Atletico, very quickly, the saddest thing about Atletico is that... Uh, their uh, ultra fan base are still just doing terrible things. Um, at the end of the game, some Atletico de Madrid players were just warming up and doing some post-competitive exercises. And uh, Mario Hermoso, uh, center back of Atletico de Madrid, was very badly insulted by some fans of Atletico Ultras. And uh, he went after them. Basically, he tried to, to jump over the fence and go after them. And the security had to stop this guy. And Atletico de Madrid Ultras, they've been just hitting the headlines for the wrong reasons lately. I remember at the Etihad when uh, one of the supporters did the Nazi salute back in winter. This summer, uh, they were showing a very big paper with saying Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't come to Atletico de Madrid. And in that picture, there was another supporter doing the Nazi salute. They have killed supporters in the past, one in 1998, another one in 2015. So yeah, I think that Atletico de Madrid has to deal with their ultras because Barcelona and Real Madrid kicked them out seasons ago. Atletico hasn't done it yet, yet sorry, and it's time to do it. Mm. One of the many big problems facing that club then. Uh, excuse my ignorance, Alvaro. What happens to a second team, for example, Villarreal, if they get promoted from the second division? Or is it impossible for them to get promoted? It is impossible, but that's a very good question, of course. Uh, it is impossible that they get promoted, and I believe that they cannot play in the cup either. Uh, but anyway, as I said, it's a great asset to have them there mm. because they are competing with professionals, some of them international footballers. So the, soon, or the, the second they are getting the opportunity in the victim, they are ready. 
So this is better than having an under-23, for example. And I know it because as an athletic club Bilbao fan, when our second team is in the second division, this uh, has really positive repercussions for Athletic de Bilbao first team. Yeah, it's the same now with Juventus. Um, Juventus do have an under-23 team, but it is the equivalent of a Spanish B team. Uh, and they play in the third division. And, you know, as disappointing as um, the nil-nil against Sampdoria was on Monday night, um, you see players like Fabio Miretti, um, coming through Fagioli as well. I know that they signed Rovella from, from Genoa, but basically they, they've got this young crop of Italians um, coming through um, who have had game time, regular game time, playing men's football in the third division. And they are allowed to play in the, in the kind of, I would say it's the equivalent of the Papa John's trophy, if that's still a thing um, in, in England. Um, and uh, yeah, for the first time really since... I don't know, Claudio Marchisio. Um, they're starting to, 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 to get players who are coming through and, uh, and look like they could be first-team players for a long time. So, yeah, it's good. And it is happening, James, with uh, Nicolas um, Jackson, a player from Villarreal who has started in the first two games. He comes straight from the B team and he's uh, really performing really well for Villarreal in the first couple of games. Excellent. Meantime, the big two winning 4-1. This weekend in La Liga, Real Madrid away at Celta Vigo, Barcelona in Basque Country against Real Sociedad. Lewandowski with his first two Barcelona goals, the first after 47 seconds, and then for the fourth Barca goal, Alvaro, what did he do? Well, it was some sort of a backheel pass. Uh, his contribution is there uh, with uh, a ball to Ansu Fati. I thought that it was offside when I watched the, the goal for the first time, but then the goal uh, counted. And it is very good to see that uh, Lewandowski has had an instant uh, synergy, not only with Ansu Fati, but also with Pedri, because against Pumas, the Mexican side that played uh, Joan Gamper, the tournament unveiling the season for Barcelona, Pedri and Lewandowski had a very good connection. Uh, this time it was with Ansu Fati. We all knew that uh, Robert Lewandowski was going to score goals for Barcelona. I thought that maybe he was going to have a bit of a bad influence in the way Barcelona plays because sometimes Lewandowski doesn't link up that much or saying that in a different way. He demands a lot of ball supply crosses and all that, but Barcelona haven't changed their game dramatically for Lewandowski. Is Lewandowski adapting to the game and is working so far. He scored the goal after a minute. Um, the thing is that after scoring that goal, you could have thought that Barcelona would have the control of the game, but that didn't happen. The first half didn't have um, any compass. I would believe that I would say that Real Sociedad and Barcelona both had their options. Real Sociedad was very vibrant, definitely. They scored the equalizer. And then it was in the second half that Barcelona regained control, not only because uh, the substitutions worked with Rafinha and Ansu Fati coming in, but also because Pedri uh, took the reins of the game. And when Pedri does that, then Barcelona plays very well. Uh, the three-man uh, centre-back line for Barcelona is not quite working yet. I don't know if when Jules Koundé is finally registered, ah. Xavi will go back to the 4-3-3. That's mm -hmm. a possibility. You know, I think that uh, at the end, uh, what made the difference in this game was the firepower, uh, James. Uh, you have a team that can bring out from the bench Rafinha or Ansu Fati, and that obviously keys the game in favour of one of the sides. And Ansu Fati, I tell you, he's not 100% yet. There is a big difference between the Ansu Fati that in uh, September 2020 he broke into the scene just uh, killing a game against Ukraine after 30 minutes, killing a game against Valencia after 10 minutes. Uh, this Ansu Fati is different. He's still 
regaining his fitness, but he always had an eye for the goal. His scoring rating in La Liga is sensational. And the best possible news for Barcelona is that Ansu Fati is back. There is a lot of, I said before, hope on this player, not only by Barcelona, but also by Luis Enrique. It's quite bizarre that when Spain lost against Italy in the semifinals of Euro 2020, Luis Enrique reference, uh, made, made a reference sorry, to Ansu Fati. Ansu Fati last summer, he was already in his mind, despite having been a year injured. So the hopes around this guy are massive. And Ansu Fati, well, he's scoring, he's getting better little by little. And this is very good news for Barcelona. You mentioned Jules Kunde. How are they going with the business of actually getting him registered? Well, they haven't done it yet. Xavi is annoyed. Uh, he said that he's not annoyed at the club, but he's annoyed at the situation itself. Right. And if they don't get him registered by the end of the transfer market, is it true that he leaves? Uh, I believe that he's got a, a close saying in his contract that he could leave Barcelona, yes. And now the club is trying to explore new formulas. Uh, Aubameyang, for example, leaving to Chelsea. Mm. Memphis Depay leaving, hopefully not on a free for Barcelona because they would like to get some money for him. Or the usual, um, the usual talk of Frankie de Jong. But Aubameyang and Memphis right now seem to be the key just to unchain um, the situation with Jules Kunde. All right. Two levers that would pull some levers. Very good. Real Madrid, <laughs> meantime, 4-1 winners away at Celta Vigo with Luka Modric doing Luka Modric things still. That's two wins out of two for Real Madrid. The Casemiro departure, how much is that going to impact them, do you think, Alvaro? And how much of a surprise was it in Madrid that the club were so quick to sell him? Uh, there was a little bit of a surprise when the news broke. Uh, soon we knew that Casemiro was up for it because the offer he got at Manchester United was way better than what he is making at Real Madrid. And we all know that Florentino Pérez as well, he is reluctant to extend contracts um, to the over 30s. Uh, we mm. saw that with Cristiano Ronaldo, we saw that with Sergio Ramos, that's why these players ended up leaving. And uh, Casemiro probably feared that this could happen to him if he didn't... Ha give an instant uh, performance for Real Madrid and obviously he wanted to uh, secure uh, the end of his career with a very lucrative contract. He left Real Madrid, I think that this is a big loss for Real Madrid, I really do, because one thing that defined Casemiro and uh, many Real Madrid players to be fair is that in the big nights they were up for the challenge and it's not easy to find players like this Real Madrid won the Champions League because they had many specialists no hybrid players at all I mean with the exception maybe of David Alaba who could play as a centre-back a left-back a midfielder but the rest of the players in Real Madrid they are big specialists and Casemiro was one of them so will Chouameni be that player? It's still to be seen. To be honest, he played really well against um, Celta in the weekend. His performance went in crescendo. I think that he physically he's very strong. But Casemiro's loss, I think that he's a bad loss for Real Madrid. Seriously, the thing is that the fee is very good as well. So if Real Madrid wants, that I don't think so, they could try to find another holding midfielder. But yeah, so far it's working, obviously, but uh, Real Madrid is still to be tested in the big nights because they have had only two easy opponents, Almeria number one and then Celta number two. OK, they've got Espanyol next weekend. Not sure how much tougher that'll be. Atletico Madrid will be looking to bounce back when they visit Gennaro Gattuso's Valencia. What, what catches your eye next weekend, Alvaro? That's a very good question, actually. Uh, I, I am very curious about uh, how Barcelona are going to feature at home because mm -hmm. they couldn't beat Rayo Vallecano. So probably my eyes will be set there. And of course, whatever Athletic Club Bilbao does, the truth is that the team is doing ah. very well. They've got four points. And uh, I am expecting them to, 
to keep uh, this good level. Ernesto Valverde has decided to use a very creative triangle in midfield, and that is working so far. Okay, there we're Cadiz. Excellent. That's on Monday. Super. Very good. Well, uh, between now and then, there's the second legs of the Euro uh, playoffs for Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League, and Thursday night, the draw for the group stages. As mentioned, the Athletics' Twitter feed and YouTube channel uh, will be featuring a live reaction to who gets whom on Thursday evening. So do join us for that. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Raphael Honigstein and Julian Laurence earlier on and James Horncastle and Alvaro Romeo and producer Charlie. And you, listener, will be back Thursday with a regular Totally show. So perhaps you'll join us then. For now, though, anyway, from all of us here, it's adieu. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.